We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome again to Beyond the Game. My name is Kendall Gammon, former 15-year NFL veteran, and he is Lamont Winston, my co-host. He is the OG, the godfather of player development in the NFL. And Lamont, how you doing? Kendall, I am doing fantastic. Uh, life's great. It's so great. I wish I had two, but I only got one. So we're going to do this show. Uh, I'm excited about today's conversation. Our guest, um, excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to bring on, if you don't know, we're going to bring on Michael Bennett, former number one pick of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, later on in the show just to talk about things. And really, you know, Lamont, we've discussed this. This is where we talk about the game uh, between when it starts and when it ends. Uh, the game of life, the, the clock of life, as opposed to the game clock, because there's so much going on. I don't think people talk about it enough. And uh, you really led the way in terms of NFL starting to develop and care about the players from the uh, from the emotional side, from the individual side, mm -hmm. as opposed to what they just did be, be, uh, between the lines. Yeah. So, Kendall, I think what I do is, and, and I, I was remiss for not the last show, but I think to give our, our listeners some context, um, uh, the, the concept of player, it was called player programs in 1992. Uh, and it was really a brochure uh, out of the league office. Uh, and in 1994, uh, they really tried to roll this thing out uh, to clubs, uh, different people had, you know, were part of it. But the Chiefs took it, we took it, and really took yeah. it to the locker room and, and really made it something. And it was, and then we took that for a few years, a couple of years. And then I started seeing it was more than just programs. And coaches weren't yeah. really big on programming. So it was really about development. When you get when you start working with players outside the stripes, it's about development at different stages of their life. So then it became player development. And then ultimately, uh, when Troy Vincent came in um, uh, uh, several years ago, he, he rebranded it to player engagement. So it's one of the people, people have been following pro football and maybe following this. They've heard player programs. They've heard player development. And they're now hearing player engagement, but that's a quick backdrop of, of, of evolution. Yeah, and, and, and you know, uh, last week, of course, we had the other OG uh, in, in Donnie Shell, uh, NFL uh, Hall of Famer, and, and a good friend of yours, it's you two, that literally award was named after. But, you know, people see everything going on between the lines, uh, but what they maybe don't experience enough is what goes into it off the field. We talked about free agency a little bit last week, you know, with the draft coming up, I think it makes sense to, uh, to talk about that. And we're going to chime in with Michael later on when he comes on about it, because he was in a very unique position, but 
I mean, right now, these days, they've already had the combine. Uh, so all these draft picks, you know, I mean, the first rounders or a lot of the first rounders, the top guys, they know what's going on. And that's a unique pressure in and of itself. But in general, all the players that want to play, um, this is a time where they're, they're going into facilities and, and they're maybe having visits. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you were on the player program side, but you came into the league, you know, as, as I want to say a scout slash coach where you were doing this stuff day in, day out, right? Yes, I came into Kansas City in 93 in the personnel department as a scouting assistant, having left a 12-year career in coaching college football. And so, um, you know, but so I had a background, you know, in terms of recruiting, evaluating. So coming there, you know, you start scouting. And at this time of the year, uh, people really don't know the work that's kind of, you know, happens all year long. And then the scouts get together uh, and bring all this information forth. Now, the other part of it is the coaches. The coaches yeah. are coaching a pro football season. They don't get to really know about the prospects, whether they are a first round consideration or prior or, or college free agent. They don't know these right. guys until after their season's in. And so they've been in double time mode trying to watch a whole bunch of tape. And I'm not talking about Kendall highlight tapes. You can't yeah, exactly. The highlight tapes. You got to watch tape. Right. And so uh, and you can't get it on the Internet. You can't kind of you, you got to actually have physical evidence and watching, you know, per prospect. It could be anywhere from four to eight tapes. You can right. imagine the thousands of athletes that are entering the draft. And so um, uh, and, and wanting to play in this league. And so uh, right now the, the players are visiting teams, um, medical visits. They used to call them yeah. medical visits, but really it's, it's one more interview. It's it, it, it's after the combine. Uh, the listeners, if you didn't know, they once the combine's over, everybody starts going to college pro days. Everybody's heard of pro days. So the coaches get out, go to the various universities. Another opportunity to one-on-one with the athletes, right, in their mm -hmm. environment, which is key, right? No real agent to that kind of thing. It's just the coach and athletes uh, and the scouts. And then they come back and have a whole series of meetings. So right now, Kendall, they're in meetings literally from 7 o'clock in the morning probably eight o'clock at night and right. they're watching profile tapes on every single prospect for the 2022 draft and so uh and and getting them on the board and and, and so there's a lot that's going on the information kindle I mean, it's interesting yeah. you know the the background information itself is like unbelievable they go back to high school Mm -hmm. If you if you had something that in your history in high school, they'll bring it up. They know they want to make right. sure that it's resolved or if it's an ongoing issue. What do we what have you done about it? So right. there is a lot of pressure going on. And here's the cool, the interesting part with all of that going on. The guys have played the games. They've 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 read the hype. You know, they've you know, they don't you don't get five stars and four stars in the NFL. Right. right? So yeah. but here's the deal. They don't know. You mentioned the first round draft picks. They have an idea. Yeah. But everybody after that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you kind of really don't know. And so that's a pressure uh, of the unknown. I mean, you know, from a financial standpoint, your, your, your family, your circle, your friends are, you know, celebrating that you're getting drafted and you'll know, be in this high position. And then you're like, consider the first rounder or second rounder. And now you're in the fourth round. And Kendall, you yeah. know, as a player, that's a different it from is a monetary standpoint that's a big differential yeah and you know you know for me kind of funny things to 
to piggyback on what you said, son, because, uh, you know, when you were at the Chiefs, um, I was actually coming out in 1992 draft. And it's kind of funny because I ended up playing for him uh, for a year and friend of yours and Herm Edwards. Mm-hmm. And they they found it sometime while I was there, some of the, the sheets that they had uh, that they had to evaluate. And Herm had actually evaluated me. And um, yeah. it's pretty darn funny because it said, I mean, it's like offensive lineman uh, has a soft body gets knocked off his feet a lot, is a below average athlete, uh, but then it said, but has a chance to play in the NFL because of his long snapping skills. So he did get it right. I'm tell you, when I saw it, it was a blow to the ego. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. And um, I, I thought I was going to get drafted in seventh, eighth round, middle rounds. I got drafted in the 11th round, which of course doesn't uh, exist anymore. So it's a free agent, but I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a shock. And, and you know, this is your only chance. If you don't get drafted, then most likely, and, and you don't get on free agent, you're not going to play. So it, it's it's a very big deal. I remember coming up to the Chiefs uh, for for one of those medical uh, workouts where basically I just got to talk with them a little bit because they were interested in me because of my long snapping skills. And um, one thing that will always stick out to me because you talk about these guys working such long hours or whatever, the guy who went during the day and got the barbecue for all of us was John Schneider, who is <laughs> the GM of the Seahawks. <laughs> okay. Who would believe that? That is amazing to me when, when you think about it and he would probably chuckle about it, but um, you know, people, no matter whether it's a player, a coach, GM, uh, whatever, they, they pay their dues and they've got a lot going on. Absolutely. And you know, Kendall, you, you, you know that that those those comments that you got you you read your report. If 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 athletes knew what the real reports oh. read like, <laughs> yeah, they they would be mortified, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 it's not. And there's nothing against um, uh, the, the agents because they have a job to right. do like everybody else, but they don't write the reports and they don't study you for two and three years. And so when they're looking at your body, we measure everything. Everything. I mean, your hands, I mean, your arms, your yeah. your, your body. You know, people that talk about for years the combine, you know, they go in, they weigh you, you just got trunks on. And they're yeah. lying about your body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, your feet, right? They they're your your quote intellect level. Um uh and, and they're projecting you. In this business now, also projecting you, but also you're being compared to who they have on a roster already. Absolutely, right? Somebody that's already developed mm-hmm. in this league, and so yeah, and so it's it's a real eye opener when when guys get a chance to really, uh, when you know know about, but they'll never know how it's really talked about in those rooms. And and there's some really lively, heated, yeah, constructive debating going on. Between a scout saying, I think this player can do one, two, three, and then a coach saying, well, I don't think he can. Well, I've done this over two years, and the coach said, well, I've been a coach for 30 years. Who, who wins right. that argument? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it, and it's, a, so it's a real involvement right now. Uh, they're in draft meetings. Everybody in the NFL, all the scouts are in. All the coaches are in. So everybody's into the draft meetings. Now, the other component that's happening now, as you well know, everybody's back on campus now. Yeah, all the veterans are back in phase one. Yep. So coaches are 
you know, they can't really mess with them. So they're there with the strength conditioning folks and medical folks. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you start picking up and by the time the draft comes, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to work with the guys. And then you got to turn around and be in more draft meetings. So it right. is a lot of work going on right now. Um, last minute conversations. Who knows this person there? Calling the AD at the universities, calling, you know, principals at high schools, um, yep. counselors. You have your medical staff doing their finals. You have your, uh, uh, your, your mental health folks doing their yep. part now, which is um, extensive because it's gotten more and more. It, it's more extensive, and 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 you know you yep. have your player engagement staff doing their part of it because they're preparing. Depending on who we get for transitioning, yeah, it's an educational process, right? Yep. Uh, once they get on campus, you know the the, the players they all look the part, but they're kind of scared to death a little bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> yep, but. But you you bring up a thing. I mean, certainly the guys that are going to get drafted or or are in that realm, they've got you know they're not vets yet. They they don't know what's going on. But I I remember also, as a player, you're paying attention to that. I mean, you're paying attention to stuff coming up also, seeing who they have interest in and what's going on. I I remember. I mean, it was. I mean, it's like yesterday. I remember hearing. A, uh, Coach Reville and them talking about the fact that, yeah, we, we drafted a guy out of Idaho, Jared Allen. And, you know, we think he can be a decent defensive end, but he can long snap too. Well, I'm a long snapper. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? You know, and I mean, yeah. as you would think. Now, what's funny, people don't know, is we got out, I think, the first or second day, and we're snapping, and he does snap okay. The funny thing about Jared is the less he practices, the better he yeah, is. He so is. The, the more he practices, he gets in his head a little bit for long snapping. So I'm like, Let's go work. Um, but all the same, uh, the big thing was I watched him move. And, and you know, I, I, I didn't have any ill will. We were good friends, even though I thought we were going to be competing. And I guess we were to a degree. But I remember first day or two talking with him like, dude, you were going to play in this league a long time, but it is not going to be as a long snapper. You, I mean, he was one of the most unbelievable athletes I've ever been around in my my life. And I've got a lot of Hall of Famers, and he's going to be one too, probably. I think fourth leading sacker in the NFL. Yeah. So, um, but it is it it is stressful on both ends of it for sure. Yeah, you know the veterans uh, they they walk around with an aura, as you well know. And they're, they're like you know they're kind of like you said they're looking. Um, and, 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 you know, this competitive, this is the ultra competitive environment, right? Yeah. So they're going to help, but I'm going to go help you right now until I see what you can do. Right. Um, You're exactly the, right. The, the, even the first round draft picks, they come in with a level of, I, I used to tell them, you, know, you got that, that number one draft pick, draft pick spray on you. But let me tell you something. Okay. When you have to get in rhythm with these veterans. Okay. I know yeah. you're scared because you don't know what to do. Right. Exactly. You don't know how to do it. And, and right. an informational and, and, and you know what? They're looking at you. And so um, the, 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 the rookies, uh, the, the high draft picks, they're all nervous. The guys that really yeah. can't be better than everybody are the college free agent guys because they're like, yeah. I'm not supposed to be here anyway. Yeah, I'm, play, I'm playing with house money. Right. You know, Absolutely. No For sure. No doubt about it. You know, yeah. Jared, Jared, you know, came out of college with, you know, he had he had he had. He, he was a he was a a, a phenomenal player and, and he was a phenomenal individual, highly intelligent. But you know, Jared can mix it up now. And, oh, yeah. and you, you and that's you look into the draft position, you're like, how's this guy, you know, 
drafted, right. I think, the fourth round. Mm-hmm. And this guy's getting ready to get a gold jacket, right? Yeah. All these all pros. And I and so I think, you know, Jared took control of his career. And I think yeah. a lot of it had to do with, you know, being involved with player development and our coaching staff and our environment here, our locker yeah. room helped yep. him a lot. Yeah. Well, you 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 helped him ultimately take control of his life, which is really what player development is doing, right. player engagement, player programs, whatever you want to call it. So, you know, we could talk about that a lot. We were talking about the first round side of it. So uh, we said earlier, folks, uh, Michael Bennett, uh, first round pick from the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Lamont, why don't you say a few words about him and we'll bring him into the conversation. Absolutely. Michael Bennett, uh, I, I had the fortunate um, uh, I coached running backs in college. And so when you're in the draft, you know, every every scout has a cross-check position. So since yep. I coach running backs, I did the, re- the running backs. So I got a chance to really study Michael. Uh, he was an All-American at the University of Wisconsin, set mm-hmm. a bunch of records. Uh, he was also a tremendous track athlete, a sprinter, uh, all Big Ten. Uh, and so Michael was a phenomenal player in college. Um, uh, it was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, uh, in the first round, uh, played 10 plus years. Uh, I got a chance to be around him. We got a chance to be around him in Kansas city. Uh, he's yep. a tremendous man. He's been a phenomenal teammate and, and, and a real advocate for, for player development and yep. what it really meant. So, um, I, I'm so thrilled that we get a chance to, to visit with Michael because folks, you're in for a treat in terms of, uh, somebody revealing their scars and how they were able to do that and perform at a high level year in, year out. So uh, we can bring Michael on. It'd be great to have him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Michael Bennett, how we doing, Mike B? I'm doing. Michael, how you doing? Pretty good. Thank you guys both for uh, having me on the show and uh, just listening to, uh, you know, you guys and and seeing you both uh, just kind of gives me that locker room feel all over. Yeah. And uh, gives me chills. Like I said, I woke up this morning uh, with a a hefty migraine, but this things like this just kind of brings all the the positive 
uh, the motivational, just, I mean, everything, it, it, it's a real cure. And I'm, I'm just happy to see two familiar faces yeah. uh, that I got a chance to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Michael, as you look back, you talk about the positive side of things. Yeah. I'm going to guess maybe, though, it was a journey because um, it certainly has been for me. I played 15 years. Uh, you, yeah. you played double-digit years as well. But as I always say, uh, the NFL is a violent game, and violent people don't come from uh, from uh, Beverly Hills. They come from sometimes violent places with, with problems. And, and yeah. I didn't have a great childhood, and, and I, th I think you have a little bit of a story as well. Is that right? Uh, true. I did come from a, a great background. I came from uh, the rural South, as they call it, uh, Mississippi. Um, I grew up uh, in a single parent home. Uh, mother pretty much did everything. And uh, it was a very abusive relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And I think those scars really prepared me for battle. And when I speak of battle, that means being on the field. You know, I wanted to inflict right. pain to take my pain that I was feeling at home each and every night. I needed an outlet to get that out. And I think, well, I don't think, but I know football was that tool for me that I can go out and hit this guy and not get in trouble, game on, I'm ready. This is, sign me up. I started at five, I finished around uh, what, age 35 or 36. Um, but you know, it, it <clears throat> took a lot out of me you know, um, the growing pains, because until now I'm able to speak about things. I held a mm -hmm. lot in and we talk about scars. Those scars are forever embedded in me. And, you know, with football, football gave it an outlet, you know, the locker room gave it an outlet, but growing up in the background, like I did, where, like I said, it was a lot of abuse, a lot of things that was going on that, you know, you as a young man or a young boy at the time have to cover up. And there's there was no one to go speak to. There was silence amongst everything because, you know, you're watching your mom pretty much get beat with night in and night out. And finally, at six years old, you get sick of it and you just jump in and you start taking those punches for her. And those are the things that I played with that was always on my heart, that was always on my mind, that was always in my light. And my mom, to me, comes before God. I will jump in any fire for her. I just, you know, and it gives me chills to speak about my mom, um, you know, during that time. And still to this day, when I see what she went through as a single mom and went through it throughout her life and then to a point where I had to take it upon myself and shoot my stepfather when I was 10 years old mm. for so, battling. For, go ahead, Lamont. I'm sorry. Yo, you know, though, Mike, I mean, I want to slow that down. I mean, I want our listeners yeah. to think about yeah, think about what, what just transpired. You got a boy that's 10 years old. Yeah. Right. That that that, you know, mom is the world. Yeah. Seen her get abused. Yeah. He decided I had to do something. Yeah. So enough. you processed and you you did and you shot the guy. Yeah. I mean, en enough I mean, was enough. To, to, I mean, to, to think about, you know, what you what were you can you think what were you thinking about before that? I mean, I mean, were, were, there was no one to talk to. I mean, and then afterwards, like, where were you? Like, what did you do? Well, I, I think leading up to it is just the years and years of stuff that just piling up and not really having an outlet, the one to talk to. Uh, you're going to school, you're crying, but your teachers are saying what's going on and you feared the person 
that mm -hmm. that would retaliate on your mom more if you opened your mouth. If mm -hmm. you said anything, this is going to keep happening. And regardless if I said anything or not, it happened, it happened, and happened over and over. And I believe it was, uh, yeah, it was 10 and it was going, it was our last game because I was getting ready to go up a league for the next year and was the award ceremony. And, you know, our moms is just proud as they are ever. And they're out and screaming. And every time you touch the ball or tackle somebody, that's my baby. You can hear it over a thousand people or or 5,000 people, however many was there, you knew your mom's voice and I didn't hear it. So at halftime, I was supposed to get, I, I got a trophy at halftime, but my mom was supposed to present it to me. And at that time, when I didn't see her, it all started to register. Like I'm thinking I'm panicking, something's wrong. So my emotions got stronger, it got deeper and it got a lot harder. Mm -hmm. So after the game, she wasn't there. I'm looking around. She wasn't there. I went to my coach. Have you seen my mom? No, no, no. So uh, I think my aunt asked me if I wanted to ride home. And I said no. So I lived about three miles from uh, where we played. So I just politely just took my stuff, walked home. And by the time I got home, the screaming, the yelling, and that trigger just set my brain off that you know, that was going on. It was a fight. It was something. And so I went around through the back door and uh, I just, I don't know what overcame me, but I had had enough. I had mm. had enough. And wow. I went in through the back door, um, snuck in the house, found his revolver and just aimed and did it, shot off three times, hit him once, twice. And that was it. And I dropped it. My mom screamed. And there was a piercing scream that I still have nightmares over to wow. this day. Yeah. Wow. So that's that, that's so intense. And the fact the yeah. fact is you don't have anybody to talk to. Um yeah. I'm curious for me, because I dealt with abuse and we won't get into that, that yeah. on myself, both physically and emotionally. Yeah. Um, um for me, and I'm curious if this was the same for you, not only at that age, but growing all the way up, because it was for me was sports became my escape. And people say that a lot, but you know, for me to break it down, my escape was if I can be good in this and I can get people to look at this, then maybe they won't look at my family life and my home life. And I won't get asked those questions. We'll only yeah. talk about this stuff, uh, which I can at least control in my life. Yeah. Because I think that was the, the thing that was so hard for me was things in my life that I couldn't control. And that sounds like that's a little a little something that you went through. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You, you can't control it, but you want to find an outlet. And my outlet... Right. The reason I worked so hard at what I did um, as far as football and track and other sports, I had two uncles before me that that was their outlet because they grew up not in the same fashion of abuse, but they grew up hard. And when I mean yep. hard, it was, you know, picking cotton. It was doing uh, uh, hay bales, picking whatever it was growing up and then going to school and then coming home doing the same thing. So they grew up a lot different um than i did but they had to drive and that drive that my uncles had that i looked up to and i admired i took that upon myself i i wanted to be like them so much so what they did i wanted to emulate but i was still going through the abuse the hardship of of seeing my mom every day 
you know, she had to wear these big glasses and cover herself up mm -hmm. because she didn't want to be seen, but she still went to work. Wow. And so that was my driving force. That was my driving force. So, Mike, you know, you 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 mentioned the word polite a little bit earlier. Yeah. And, you know, when you said that, you know, it just kind of gave me chills because you may be one of the most polite players <laughs> that I've ever ever encountered and and so but then when you hear this and and, and, I, and hopefully our listeners can you know can appreciate this when you got on the grass mm -hmm. there was a different guy and of course and, and i mentioned that mike mike you, you know you were a an all-american sprinter at the same mm -hmm. time yeah and, and and so that those you know that that adrenaline it takes to get to the starting blocks yeah right and and the goal it yeah. was your channel so to speak with, yeah. with all the stuff that you packed inside yourself, because it sounded yeah. like not too many coaches really dug at you to try to find out what was going on with you. Well, see, my thing is I, I was always taught to approach things just with a humble approach. And you treat people how you want to be treated. But, you know, only a few people know this. My therapist now knows it. You know, when I would run those track meets as a kid, as you know, growing up in college, I still kept that mentality of when that gun goes off, that man is chasing me to beat my, you know what, to give yes. me that book. Yes. So that's what I ran for. <clears throat> and I got yes. faster, I got better. And that was my, my, that was, like again, there were a lot of things that drove me, but really to push me to my limit, I had to put that young boy growing up through everything in the front line. Yeah. So the adult me can go and rescue him, mm. whether it be mm. at the finish line or the goal line, wow. that was the promise that well, I wanted yeah. to keep to my younger self because Th that w analogy the, uh, of what I've used is what I've had to really put in perspective for my adult life now. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to reach back and regain some of that childhood that a lot of it that I lost because I only wanted what my outlet was, was my sports. In mm -hmm. school, I didn't, I never wanted to be home because it was always something. And if I yep. could have played 15 football games or basketball games or 15 track meets in one day and not come home, I, that was my piece. But again, mm -hmm. we know we can't do that. It, it wasn't allowed. But if it was allowed, then I would have never came home. Wow. That's that's amazing. Um, I'm going to unpack one little thing is, I mean, something you talked about. Uh, it's hard to think that that didn't come from some therapy because it was, it's, it's almost verbatim what I've had to do, which is yeah, as an adult, you have to go back and, and talk to that little kid and, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, tell them it's okay and, and mm -hmm. make them understand that yeah. it was, it was okay to deal with that stuff. So, okay. So you do so well, you go on to Wisconsin, you mm -hmm. do all these great things. Yeah. Uh, in everybody else's eyes, they would think that everything's perfect. That's still yeah. there. The scar's still there. Mm -hmm. But now, all of a sudden, you're going to be a first-round pick. I mean, we're, we just talked about it before you came on, which is yeah. this is a time where guys are getting ready uh, <clears throat> to go and, and be drafted. They don't know where, but the, 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 the guys that are ex that, that are that have excelled, much like yourself, yeah. they know they're going in the first round most likely. Mm -hmm. What's that like? Because I've got to imagine that's a whole different set of, uh, I don't know if it's problems, but certainly pressures. 
Well, it's a lot of different pressures, uh, you know, from the day that you say, okay, well, I was a junior and I was like, well, you know, I'm hot right now. I don't want to risk injury. There's a lot of things mm -hmm. that you have to think about, consult with your family. Um, and for a while it was just my mom, myself my, and my sister and a few of my family members. And once I made that decision, it became like from, let's say from eight people, and then from, you know, the, uh, my coaches in college. So let's just call it 15 people to over 200 people. You're being yeah, exactly. cool in every which way. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm so used to this, this group of people. I don't want to venture out. It's scary. Yeah. And then what comes along with it, with the predictions of, oh, well, you're going to be a first round draft pick. Oh, let, let, let all the money fall from the ceiling. And now everybody's pulling at you. You're still young at this point. You're, you know, 20, 22 years old, and you're getting ready to step into a whole nother line of work, meaning this is something you've been working your butt off all your life to get to this point. Now, the way I look at it, it's a childhood dream come true for me to see two of my uncles. Uh, one of them was a first round pick for the Packers. My other uh, uncle, uh, Charles. Uh, Tony Bennett uh, played for the Packers and the Colts, and Charles uh, Bennett, um, he played for the Dolphins, the Bears, and I think the Cowboys, but didn't play long. So you had the the best of both worlds, of one that was kind of on the end of it, and then one that was on the higher end of it as far as being a first-round draft pick. So to be able to pick their brains and know the do's and don'ts, it gave me kind of like an advantage over the guys that, you know, you don't have a family member, someone to um, look at as a role model to bounce these questions off of. You just have an agent that just came into your life, is going to tell you everything that you want to hear. And then it's like, OK, well, I can trust him. He's my agent. Well, for me, having my uncles there and then having um, my actual agent uh, was my uncle Tony's agent. And I met him when I was a young kid and I said, you're going to be my agent one day. And he laughed. We took a picture and fast forward, you know, 10 years later, wow, here I am. And I still have that picture to this day somewhere. Um, uh, when I showed him, like I said, remember this? And he goes, wow. You know, and that was kind of like the start, the spin for me. And then once the preparation started, the workouts, you have to be here, you have to be there. You really have to be accountable for all of this. You are getting ready to, your life is just went from like a, a penny to millions of dollars. Yeah. And you don't know, you're excited, but the adrenaline, the, the pressures of, oh, well, can I have this? Can I have that? And you're like, oh, sure. Okay, yeah, no problem, no problem. And then you get dragged, you go through the process, you're sitting by the phone, and once you get that call, you, in, in a sense, you piss your pants because it's like, wow, I'm, I'm here. Right. The, the journey begins now. Now you're on a flight, you feel like you're the man, and oh man, I'm, 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 I just got drafted, 27th overall, I'm going to the Minnesota Vikings. Wow, I, I did it. You haven't done it yet. You still have to get there. You have to, you know, go through everything that in that draft process, the pressures of, you know, calling the pressures of, uh, you know, I mean, there were women in my hotel room or not my room, but in the hotel, I, I, hey, I, I just got here. 
And now it's just everybody tearing at you, the, the temptations. It, it's just so much pressure. And there's no one to really talk to about it. So you're, again, these things that I'm telling you guys now that I was going through, <clears throat> look at it this way. It's the same thing that I was going through as a kid because you're looking for that outlet. You're looking for someone to trust, to be able to talk to. But now, hey, you're a grown man. You just got drafted. This is what everybody expects of you. Now the expectations went from here to sky high. Yeah, yes, correct. Now I got to meet all these expectations or I'm not going to make it. That's so where the stress starts. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. So, okay, so you did a great job, like, you know, kind of that process. Yeah. But talk to the listeners and, and what would you say to guys that listen maybe right now that are going through this because the pain and the scars are still there. Yes. And so, and so how, you know, eventually if you don't deal with that, if you take that into the league, mm -hmm. right, it becomes even a more of a distraction, right? And it's so, going to become a bigger problem. Exactly. So maybe, maybe talk about, you know, when, uh, when you were you went through a zillion interviews, I remember, remember those yes. interviews. That, okay, yes. when when people are asking you about your family, or people were getting close, not knowing the details, but when people got close to talking about your family upbringing, father, yeah. no father. Tell how do how do you how do you help athletes deal with that um, right going right now and going forward as they get to a team? Well, for me, I took the the approach of uh, just kind of throwing the conversation to somewhere else. If they said, well, where's your dad? Oh, you know, I don't know. Um, haven't heard from him, which I didn't want to reveal that weakness of me <clears throat> because you're in an interview with teams. They want to see a tough guy. They want to see a gritty son of a, you know what, mm -hmm. that I know that's going to go out there and give it to me for four quarters, regardless of what's going on. That's what they're looking for. Okay. Mm -hmm. That, that that's what's in these young minds of then when I was playing, I didn't want to share anything vulnerable because mm -hmm. I felt if I said that I wouldn't be drafted this way. So I was able to just kind of throw the conversations away. But now we fast forward. We see a lot of mental health crisis going on. We see a lot going on with a lot of players, um, myself in, in included where these things wear you down. Yeah. So if I'm a young player and I want to, and I'm getting dragged, you're ready to get drafted by these teams, open up, just let it out. Because I believe this way, you can show that you're tough on and off the field, but you can show that you're an even tougher person by letting these, your feelings out. Let it be shown because I'm 40. I'll be, you know, I'm 43. I'll be 44. I just became a man. Wow. Young guy. <laughs> yeah. That's outstanding. And they just said, you know, we we don't, we, some, some men mature faster than others, sure. but it really just now hit me this, at this point in my life, there's That's so much more out there. You know, when you hold stuff in, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a just, I'm free. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I'm in, you know, pain and suffering, but I'm free. Yeah. yeah. And I can talk about it. I don't so, Mike, you got to, you go to the Vikings. When did you get introduced to player development? 
So I was introduced early on uh, in Minnesota, but I didn't understand the concept mm -hmm. of it. I didn't really understand it until maybe my fourth year in Minnesota. I'm like, okay, well, this is the guy, but this is the guy for this, or it, because there's something for everyone. Yeah. And kudos to you, Lamont. It hit me when I got to Kansas City, like, wow. There's a person here that's really set to talk to everybody on the team, every guy. Now, I'll go back to when I was in Minnesota. The things that I would share with you, Lamont, I would sit in the kitchen with the people that prepared our food. That was my counseling session. Hmm. Because you know what? They weren't the... They didn't, the only thing they came in to do is prepare meals. These people mm -hmm. were, they, they and, and let me just rewind it a little bit while I went there, was because my mom actually worked in the kitchen a long time ago. And they had, we had some of the most amazing conversations. So that's where I would spend my time mm -hmm. to go in there to talk to them. And they would tell me about their upbringings, what happened with them. And we all had something similar. But once I got to Kansas City and it was like, you know, you had your way. You just were infectious in a way that your personality kind of went all through the locker room. You know, you were high fiving guys, hugging people, giving people like the advice. Uh, and you were the person that got the call at two, three, four o'clock in yeah. the morning. No coaches, no other staff, you. But once I saw how you took that position, and I i mean, when I say elevated it to a place where now that I'm 43 years old, I understand it all. But you were a big part of that to where I say there should be a person like you, such as yourself, and a female in there, because some guys, they don't know if they want to talk to a man yes. or a woman, the, the the comfort level, because some men like uh, like to be, you know, they, they have, they like to have their motherly nature. But for me, sitting around and being around you, it, even if it was just BS or shooting the shit, we call it, but you were great at inviting guys in because you gave everyone the real story the realness of, you know, Lamont. Because if I can get to know you like I got to know Kendall, like I got to know a ton of other guys, that brought us way more closer. And for I can, yeah. I'm, I apologize. I was just going to say, is it, yeah. is it fair to say that one big thing was the fact of, like with Lamont and, and others you dealt with after, yeah. I mean, you, you, you finally could trust somebody who was interested in you for more than just what you were giving them between yes. the lines when the yes. clock was running? Yes. Is that a fair yes. statement? That is very. That, I mean, that's the best statement you can you could say. I mean, you trusted Lamont. You trusted. He was that one guy because you could. You were. It, it was almost like this. I couldn't go to coach. No. Hell, I remember I was in practice and, and Brian Waters and I was racing, and it was a Thursday, and I popped my hamstring. And hell, I mean, I was afraid to go to her. And I had mm. to somehow find Lamont, confide in him. And Lamont said, nope, you got to go on in and get it done. 
But hadn't it been for him, I would have had to finagle a way out of it, look for a whole nother reason to come up with an excuse, a lie to say, coach, well, I, I don't know how it happened. But because I know Lamont had my best interest for me to be a grown man, own up to it. Hey, look, he's not going to give you a, a, a ass whooping, but he's going to say, you're going to be punished for that. And, and I was fine. But at the end of the day, there was one thing that I was freed of. Mm, you know, that correct. was one thing. I didn't have to go around feeling alienated because I had just did something. But it, that, that was just one little thing. But just because I trusted him enough. I mean, hell, I would call Lamont times when, you know, when I, you know, we had other guys on the team that, you know, Lamont and I would just share things about. And I somehow became like a liaison for him. Because Absolutely. I trusted him. <laughs> yep. And I wanted to help him because he wanted to help all of us. Correct. But some people didn't want his help because they felt like, oh, well, if I told him this, if I told him that, he was going to tell it to everyone. But yep. again, we I've been knowing him since 2006. And he's been in my life as long as I, I, I can, you know, from 2006 and, and, and still to this day. Regardless of what I've been through personally in my life, he's always been there. So two things from that. Number one, B-Dub has always been a troublemaker. So we'll just leave that one alone. Um, but the other one was you mentioned, uh, you know, 15 years for me, 10 of those, I was an NFL PA rep elected yeah. by the team. And I think it's because they trusted me exactly. and that I cared. Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about. But then yeah. the other thing is just the fact you mentioned that you could talk to him and it wouldn't go anywhere else. That's the one yeah. thing that I always remember in the locker room was if there was a canary, we figured it out real quick yeah. and they were done. I yeah. mean, they, I mean, you still deal with them, whatever, but but they weren't getting any information anymore because you knew because you didn't get a second chance if you were sharing information that didn't need to be shared. Well, you know, I think, you know, right. I, I think I, I, I appreciate the compliment. I, I think that, you know, the, the, now, you know, for me, I think, you know, and, and I've had to live my career and my life like this, it, even when I was coaching, it's called trust. Yeah. And, 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 and you only have one shot of trust Yeah. because if, if you, if, if you're deemed untrustworthy, you're like you're like salt that loses its taste, right? Yeah. And so, and and players figure it out. You're done, right? And so, yes. it was always, you know, I, I just said it's easier for me because men, the men wanted to learn. I had to teach. So I'm learning myself is to what trust is about. I have to, you know, try to teach men how to. Um, uh, the only way to build up trust is to like be honest and go through it. Like, yeah, not get through terrible. a back door or an off ramp. It's yeah. like, hey, like it happened. We are yeah. businessmen. We're yeah. going to go and deal with this in the business perspective yeah. and be done with it. Right. But if yeah. we have to boys and I, we, I've often said, yeah, boys, you know, kind of stay below that line and they stay in the closet and they try to find excuses and they try to. Yeah. And, and then when you say something to them, they get defensive. Well, yeah. you know, that begins during on a football team that begins to alienate the locker room because we've all had teammates that have kind of gone down that road a little bit. Yeah. And eroded some of the trust in the locker room. But but it's really is to be able to build up trust enough when those critical things happened in your life, Kendall, Mike, your teammates, that you felt at that moment, I can go someplace before I go into this meeting, yeah, where it's gonna be on my mind, 
and, and I can't do anything about it, right? So, yeah. so Mike, you were the Chiefs' great teammate. You became a player development assistant. I, I, I trust me, it, it was awesome. <laughs> but you you've gone to other teams now: um, mm-hmm. San Diego, uh, New Orleans, San Diego, uh, the 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 Raiders, mm-hmm. um, and we both shared that experience yeah. uh, and that culture. But um, talk about you know, share a little bit about, you know, you and how you did that at other locker rooms. Just, you know, how did you become that guy in every other locker room you went to and still excelled being selfish enough to be able to excel in the field? Well, I I think it carried over, you know, as guys get later in their career, they go from team to team and it's like, well, who is this guy that they're bringing in or who is this person who is, so to have a, a great rapport with all of your teammates, and coaches as well um, to be able to vouch for you. Then once you got in the locker room, you tr- I, my thing was a, a perfect example for me uh, from team to team. I look at Will Shields uh, when I was there in Kansas City. Um, I, I look at a guy like Robert Griffith when I was in Minnesota, Robert Smith, but even though he had left, but guys that really caught my attention. I think once I got to, um, um, what was it, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, the, the guys like Derek Brooks. Um, and then once I got to San Diego, um, it was, uh, uh, I mean, and not to just, I'm just naming these guys because they're the more uh, significant ones in my brain right now. Uh, but once I got to Oakland, it, it, it was all over the place. Like you look for this guy and it was a bunch of young, young guys. Um, some veterans, but they were still in that that, that mind frame. The grown-up, the man, the, the leaders that you look for on teams are at every position. You look for that one leader. And I think when I got to Oakland, there was maybe two. I think Richard Seymour was there, and it was, um, oh gosh, I forget. It was Richard Seymour and someone, there, oh, um, Tony Stewart. So mm-hmm. those were the two guys that, you know, once I got there, the, 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 the locker room had no control. Great coaches, but the locker room had no control. We had, I don't remember who was our player development guy, but I'm like, wow, this is like a zoo. No wonder we're, you know, two and 14 or whatever the, the record was at that time, because there was no control. There were no people i mean it was just like a like i said like a wild kingdom mm-hmm. and you shook your head every day going to work then you start you know trying to get groups of guys together i mean i i remember one thing that uh as we did as running backs when i was in kansas city that was a great night of bonding for us we had you know our running backs night out where we would go watch film uh at a restaurant we would have dinner and eat and then we would we would go home you know but that was a great bonding thing so um I implement, uh, implemented that within our running back room in Oakland. And it was like, oh, wow, man, we, we need to do this more often. I said, well, you know, I've been doing it everywhere I went, but I'm, I'm happy you guys wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But just to just to be able to put, you know, step out, step out with a, a blind leap of faith, faith and hope that, that these guys would come in. And then all of a sudden you get groups, guys want to come out. They want to do this. It was showing them how to really be a professional. In a way that you take, again, a bunch of younger players, wild, want to be out in the streets, doing this, doing that, 
And I take a quote from Denny Green, uh, rest, rest in peace, a great coach that drafted me. But he said, look, nothing, ha- nothing good happens after midnight. Right. Nothing good happens after midnight. So if you haven't did what you needed to do by then, pack it up and go home. And I just I tried to live by that motto. And she's not going to look no better after midnight anyway. Exactly. Once the lights come on, it's, it's over. So trust what trust your eyes see at that point in time. But, you know, again, we go back to, like, the Lamont Winston's of the world, the Arthur Hightower's of the world, the Eric Vance's of the world, Leo Lewis, people like, uh, you know, in, in those positions. After 12, that's when they woke up. Yeah. You know, they could be in their bed, but just go, no – that Thursday, Friday night, that phone that is going to be a hotline. And you just hope there's nothing tragic on the other end of that call. But just like I said, just to reiterate, to go in, to get around and be amongst the guys, to pull them in, you know, to 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 talk to them and give them that trust. You know, I, I still have guys to this day still call me because they have some secrets that in their life that they have buried within within them and i'm trying to say look this is my steps learn from my examples learn from yeah. what i went through in 2011 and 12 and then learn what i just recently went through learn from my mistakes because so Mike, let's talk about this one yeah let's talk about this so so Okay, so it sounds like, okay, you think Michael had a great career and he did yeah. this and everything went right. But you know yeah. what? Michael became a dad. Yeah. My, my, Michael had some challenges. He became a husband. I mean, yeah. these things that started impacting you as a person yeah. and with this game, uh, share some of the, if you share some of the, like, the, the, the little bit of the struggle, because now, you know, nobody's taught you how to be a man. Yeah. Right? You, you're still yeah. kind of trying to find your way. Yes. Right? And you mentioned something. One of the clinicians uh, we used to work with in Kansas City always said, you know what? Men keep secrets. Yeah. That's one That's one of the things we do really good. Yeah. Oh, so yeah we, 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 we can keep some secrets. And so yeah. but the secrets will get you at the most yeah. inopportune time. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, when, when, when the child is born or the child may be born with, with some yeah. physical challenges, you yeah. got to go to work. Like you have no yeah. choice. Yeah. That, and how do you do that? And it, it, uh, and 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 every day, and then try to keep home the way it needs to be. Yeah. Well, again, like I said, for you, you you look for examples to learn from. I got married young to uh, a young lady that went to you know we grew, we met in high school, so and we were high school sweethearts throughout. You know, then we went to college, different colleges. Then we end up getting married. I get drafted, and wow, you know. It goes from your status goes from here through the roof. Now you got every chick that you know pulling at your collar, and I wasn't mature enough to handle it. You know, my first year, I mean, I, I was I, I wasn't uh, wild like that, but I, I just wasn't uh, faithful, so to say. Didn't know how. I just, I just wasn't faithful, and there's no way that i mean i was ashamed of it but it was like it was an addiction for me at that time but i had to learn the way to because i've seen guys getting fights and stuff over a lot of these things in the locker room so i had to learn how to never bring my home to work and never take work home 
If you can learn to separate those two, then you're on your way to being a better professional athlete or professional or better man or better person. But those secrets haunt you. They eat at you. They distract you on the road. You know, you, oh, yeah, we're going to uh, just say when we was in Kansas City. Oh, yeah, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to Miami. Oh, boy, we're leaving two days early. Oh, let's make the calls. Let's get everything lined up. So yep. those are the pressures. But being a, a, a young dad, uh, my first son uh, was born. He didn't walk till he was two. Uh, we found out he had autism. And that tore me down to the core, back to that hiding spot or back to that feeling as when I was a young kid because I blamed myself. You know, I never drank. I never did any drugs, steroids, or anything like that throughout my whole entire life, career. I didn't start drinking until I was 36 years old. That was my first drink. I was the designated driver in college, my pro, my whole pro life. And then after that too. Um, but after my son was born and he didn't walk, he wasn't fitting in like the other kids. I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right. So, you know, I'm getting myself tested. My wife uh, at the time tested. And that was one of the hardest things I had to deal with mm. because look at me. I'm this strong athlete, fast. I can run, jump, do any and everything with the football, basketball, baseball, you name it. I have it. My brain is somewhat intact. Every My body parts work, everything. Test mom. Mom is good. You know, had a clean bill to help. How can this happen to me? What did I do wrong? And I struggled with that. After my son turned two, I think, uh, yeah, so after he turned two, I had to be that guy. I couldn't take what I was going through at home because I was mad at her because I thought it was her fault. She was mad at me because she thought it was my fault. And there became that wedge. Mm -hmm. And you have to sit up and, you know, you're sleeping in different rooms. You're going uh, you you start going out. You don't want to be home because you're really trying to find out why did this happen? What's wrong with me, God? Why why would you punish me? I've been punished since the day that I was born because of what I went through. I felt that was my punishment enough. Now you want to punish my child? I blame God, I, but I was wrong. You know, now you you get older, you do your research, you learn to deal with these things. Yeah. I have another son. He's, you know, we, we, we learn to do some things different as far as the immunization shots and all of that stuff. We learn to do different things. And, you know, I have three sons now um, and two of them, uh, you know, well, all of them are healthy, but they don't have any, you know, disabilities. But that still haunts me to this day. I still scratch my head on why that happened to my son, you know, and having that challenge to deal with that as a grown man, going to and from work, knowing that all these other little kids that are running around here happy as, as ever, yeah, I was, I was, I was envy. I mean, I had envy towards my teammates because their child were perfect wow. and mine wasn't. And that was, that was, that was a low point for me. That was a low point. I mean, it that's was a, almost like I don't want any more kids. Yeah. Just and that's a, and that's a, that that and the, and the not not have time, you know, Kendall. You you guys being that pro locker room, like there's just no time. Like there's no the only no. time you have is in your car, really. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? There, that where you can just be quiet if you want to be quiet because you don't have the minute you open your car door, whether it's home or somewhere, it's somebody else's needs. And I will say this, Mike. Um, again, I've always admired your strength. Um, you know, God was getting you ready to help a lot of other people, and you yeah. have, and that's yeah. why those same people call you today, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you're able to help them in the right way. I, yeah. I, I want to, as we kind of are getting close, I know we're kind of getting close, but I, I let's talk about quickly about transition and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, what happened in transition and then, um, and then, and then where are you now and what joys that you have in your life right now? Yeah. Uh, well, the transition was extremely hard for me. Um, I think my last day when I was with the Raiders, it was after the last game, um, I had got cut and shit, I didn't know what that felt like. I mean, I got, uh, yeah, I got traded. And then, um, well, actually, I got traded from Kansas City to Tampa. Tampa, then I was cut there, but that was for like 20 minutes, and I was on the plane going to San Diego. But to actually be cut, and the phone doesn't ring, life stands still, and I started going over to the parking lot every day to put my code in. It didn't work. I couldn't get in that gate. Now I'm spinning wow, is this really over for me? Then you find yourself driving. You find yourself, you know, getting in the building, making excuses just to be in the locker room. And, you know, people like, oh, well, you know, shit, you don't belong here anymore. You know, you're, we, you know, and you're like, okay. And it's like, it's not real. Then a week go past, a month go past. Now I'm in the parking lot. Now I want to end it all. I want to take it because something that I needed all my life has stopped. Mm. I didn't know where to look, where to go, where to be. I slept in my car for four days wondering, is my life over? I wasn't prepared when that from for that final game because we don't ever know when it is or when it's going to happen. And hear me out on this. We never know. So the day that you get that call is the day that you prepare for that day when that time ends. I wasn't prepared. So I, 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 like I said, slept in my car. I contemplated suicide. There's a difference from going to your team doctor, now you're going to a regular practitioner on the outside. Two different things, two whole different feelings. The locker room is gone. There's no cold tub. The little things that we take for advantage, take for, you know, we we take advantage of, there's none of that. There's no, let's get ready for the game. There's no smell of pads. There's no hitting. There's nothing else going on. I'm dead at this point. I get a phone call from my mom that saved my life. I'm here to this day because of a few phone calls, but that one would have been very tragic because that's the point to when this game stopped. 
If you don't have preparation, if you don't have preparation for the ending, it'll end right there tragically for a lot of players, whether they want to admit to it or not. Because for me, I I, I was going to play 20 years yeah. as a running back. That's that's all, that's everybody's thought. But it happens. Prepare, young man. Prepare. Mike, that I, I you know, um, I knew you was going to be real. I knew yeah. you were going to be authentic. That's the only way you know how to be. It's yeah. all about exposing you, yeah. exposing your vulnerabilities to, to, to others may be able to be, find the courage to do that yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. uh, there is help out there. Uh, I know Kindle, you, all the listeners in, 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 in the network. Yeah. Um, these, and there's not just, this is not just unique to pro football players, right? right. Or, yeah. or, or, or this is for everybody, every athlete, everybody. every sport at every age, right? Yeah. Like shared yeah. with uh, you listeners, uh, he's 10 years old, eight years old. And the journey, the mental journey started, yeah. right? Uh, and, 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 and to that final contemplation, um, in a parking lot, right yeah. where it used to work. So, yeah. so Mike, I, I really do thank you for, for being at it. And I, we're, if, if you're willing, um, uh, we'd love to have you back uh, on the show. Yeah. Uh, Kendall, yep. uh, your thoughts? Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, Michael. I mean, you're real, and that's what we're looking for. And again. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants to talk about everything that's going on between the lines yeah. when the clock's running, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, but this part of it, I think, just has so many more real world applications, and yeah, and that's what people just don't don't get a chance to know. But also, the, the one thing that that we saw today, and uh, it, it's something I try to work on and tell yeah. people about, is you're vulnerable. You're letting people know you. Yeah. You want them to know you. And, and vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is strength. When you yeah. can let somebody into your world and be confident that yeah. you're okay with it, that's that's a strength and not a weakness. Yeah, and I and I think that helps people. Um, again, like I said, therapy, guys, please uh, don't knock it till you try it. And if you have to go to to like three or four different therapists, try it, yep. yeah, but just keep going because that one will stick. I have two. Well, you know, really? you know, it's like it's like it's like when you when when you're when you're trying to go improve your forty time, yep. you'll go to five different speed coaches, exactly, right, to improve, yep. improve your forty time until yep. you can find the right one. So exactly. it's okay. Uh, in, in 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 my world, I, I always say vulnerability is just strength under control. Yeah. Yep. It's just strength I, under control. I, and, I, and and so uh with this, we our hope was to just kind of peel it, peel it back a little bit, slow it down, yeah. let people know like everybody's caught up in the draft right now and, and football season's about to start. Everybody gets ca caught up in the release of the schedule. But yeah. right now lives are changing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um yeah. and, 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 and 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 there's always going to be stories. I mean, this young man. Dwayne Haskins and and bless God, man. We bless you know, just pray for his family. Um, he was here last week and now he's gone. Yeah, just like that. Just like that. Blake and so I. So again, um, uh, Michael, just thank you for sharing everything yeah. uh, with us. There's more to Michael Bennett 
Yeah, right. and there, hey, look, there's a lot on the table uh, in this short period of time. We have to just kind of speed through it. But I mean, again, I really want to just get more and more in depth because I, I think it, it's it's it, it's it, it's for the listeners. It's for the like yeah. you said, the, the the young players, the young athletes, the young doctors, the young you know people that's going to college, going through things in high school. It's at every level, guys and young women. It is at every level. Just don't think it's at a, a all or just all athletes. It's at every profession, every job, every way, walk of life. There is these pressures on us. And we have to be able to find someone or some people that we can trust with our vulnerability and, and, and share how we feel to get a, a better perspective on our thoughts. Because at the end of the day, my thought was just to take it and, and, and be done. But that phone call saved me, and I'm able to share this today with everyone. Outstanding. So, Kendall, maybe we can agree. Um, I'm getting the plug in, Mike, with the boss over here. So, so there, there's there's there, there's a part that I know. Listen, Mike. Well, well, Mike's not talking about X. Well, Mike had some bumps. Maybe we'll bring you yeah. back. And we'll talk we, about whatever. Uh, yeah, open we have a ton of athletes who yeah. end up in these situations. Yeah. And, and what true. does people always say? How did why did he do that? How did he end yeah. up in that? And and so it's not always a bad person making a bad decision. Yeah. Right. Sometimes hey, this, people, I, I'll tell you this: a lot of good people get screwed over in life, and but because of who you are, you become you become the big fish in a small pond, and things yep. happen to us. And like I said, I'll be happy and love to come back on and share those things. Um, you know, going forward. Hey, Michael, that's awesome. We will definitely bring you on for part two and okay. we'll let you go now. But thank you so much for your time. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Mike, thank you. I love you, man. Both of you guys. All right. Love yep. you guys. Take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.